Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Recap, the Escapist Weekly Live show all about the latest in movies, TV, and streaming. This is episode number eight for October 11th, 2022. My name is Marty Sleeve, and I'm joined by my two favorite Teds, Darren Mooney and Nicolandra. Hello. How are you guys doing? That was, that was a reference to the hit to the hit film, Werewolf by Is it a film? What do I call it? What do we call it? A short. A, a, a special presentation. I guess that's how they branded it, a special presentation. So, um, yeah, welcome, everyone, to uh, the recap. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in live, for tuning into the VOD. Uh, today, as you can see in the headline, we're going to be talking about Werewolf by Night, the uh, latest Marvel special presentation, uh, which hit Disney Plus last week. Uh, we'll also be giving our thoughts on Episode 7, the penultimate episode of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, uh, the latest episode of House of the Dragon, which I thought was wonderful, and uh, the latest episode, Episode 5 of Andor as well, and then talk about other stuff we've been watching. So, How are you guys been doing? How's, 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 how have your weeks been? Busy. Busy? Yeah. Never not busy anymore. Yeah, well, that's, that's that in the old that was the old days. Non-busyness was an old days thing. We don't yes. we don't have non-busyness anymore. No. And I am operating completely unsupervised because Nick is busy. Um I am also been very busy, but in a more fun constructive sort of busyness, I I assume. Yeah, you went uh you went off the grid with Halloween. Have you gotten to see Halloween ends yet? No, Halloween ends is tomorrow morning. I'm seeing Halloween okay. ends tomorrow morning. Um, is it weird I, to go to a screening for a spooky movie in the morning? It's always awkward when you're like, do I get popcorn and a giant Coke with this movie that has been designed to be watched with giant popcorn and a Coke? Um, I like the same way at 8.30 in the morning. I feel like, yeah. I feel like if I'm playing like a, a cinematic game before like 7 o'clock, I'm not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the room itself is dark, so you're fine, but it is always kind of a little bit awkward. Where that, you're is, like, that yeah. is true. No, and I do, like, one of my favorite things is to go to the very first showing of, of a morning because, A, it's always cheaper, and, B, it's just, like, me and the elderly, and I love the elderly. Great audience. <laughs> they're, they're nice people. No, well, that's it. Going during school hours is the best time to go to yeah. the cinema because school kids are in school and not yeah. at the cinema. <laughs> yeah. um, Although, I guess, okay. for a movie like Halloween Ends, I like seeing that's, comedies and horror yeah. movies in, like, rowdy theaters like yeah. i saw barbarian in a rowdy ass theater and i loved it i, was gonna say, I should I'm pause more, and say that except the cool kids adults yeah. <laughs> movie theaters except the cool kids there no cool kids yeah that was about to say like the you know the all the kids are in school except for the cool kids yeah the cool kids who skip school to go see amsterdam <laughs> <laughs> i would not wish that on anybody no, but we'll we talk would. about that we absolutely would not uh and fresh ground tuesday thank you so much right off the bat with a super chat for ten dollars I don't get to watch the rest of this live, so here's some early money for the tip jar. I became an Escapist member because Darren engages with me in the comments when I say his opinions are wrong. I mean, most of my opinions are probably wrong in the grand scheme of things. I do have a lot of them. It's a safe bet. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, we go for the rapid fire approach, so they're not all going to land. Um, yeah, let, let, let shoot them all and let history sort them out, right? That's exactly. the philosophy. <laughs> exactly. And thank you so much, Fresh Ground Tuesday. That uh, you, your donations are all going towards our current goal of filming Adventures Nice season three in person, which is very exciting. We're going to have, uh, uh, you know, uh, Amy and Yahtzee and Casey and Jesse all fly out to Milwaukee to film the season in person. We'll have all sorts of behind the scenes stuff. Uh, uh, I keep bringing up this board game Jack has from like the 60s. It's a Barbie board game about getting a prom date, and it seems very problematic, but he wants us all to play it so which you could imagine a barbie board game from the 60s about getting a prom we, date we have to, we have to do it now and yes, we have we to have, film it <laughs> we have to do it we have to do our first in-person let's play so it's fine it's fine barbie yeah, it's, it's not ryan, like barbie's gonna be back in the ip next summer in a massive movie ryan, ryan gosling's not in the game so it's okay yeah there's no yeah there's no gosling or margot robbie i am also 
I, this question doesn't even work with you, Darren. I was going to say, which movie are you going to see first, that or Oppenheimer? But obviously, <laughs> that's going to be a great day if neither of those. It is. I like. Barbie I have Oppen- that like in the calendar as like movie, like, like movie holiday, Christmas. movie yeah, Christmas. Take a pick a day off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like and I'm going to see Oppenheimer and then Barbie. Like that's yeah. that's it. It's, that's just the perfect day. Uh, <laughs> Greta Gerwig's Barbie, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, and part of me is you know I was very disappointed when I think Margot Robbie said that she was going to use Barbie Girl in like Barbie. So I'm hoping against hope that Nolan uses it in Oppenheimer. That's oh, that's my big kind of. He's but no, maybe it'll be like a really slowed down music, for, uh, slowed down version for the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With all that real heavy bass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You won't be able to do the dialogue. Barbie over girl. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. It's fine. Uh, cool. Let's hop. Do uh, you want to hop into our thoughts on uh, Werewolf by Night? Well, I don't care if you want to. We're going to. We're, we're doing it. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. the first topic. Um, so yeah, Werewolf by Night was the first of uh, what I assume is going to be many uh, Marvel special presentations. So this was a 50 minute or so. Um, a, a, a feature uh, 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 starring uh, Gail Garcia Bernal uh, as the titular Werewolf by Night, who I didn't realize was named Jack Russell, which I think is very funny. Yeah. That's the name of a dog. <laughs> yeah, um, they don't say it. They don't actually say it in the thing, do they? Because I was yeah, I, they just call it's him in Jack. the credits. Yeah, yeah, it's in the credits, and I'm like, I know, I get the mythology gag because that was always the joke in the comics. Yeah, I don't think they call him Jack Russell. I think that would be a bit much. That, yeah, even for Marvel, they're like, okay, that's just pushing it too far. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was uh, uh, directed by uh, the first the first uh, thing directed or the first feature, I guess, directed by Michael Giacchino, who, who you might know as an incredible composer. Uh, my my favorite work of his was on Lost, uh, of course. I will always bring up Lost, uh, but also did the recent Spider-Man movies and everything. And he also scored this movie. So and I, I thought one of the best things about this movie was the kind of the soundscape. I thought, yeah. like, you know, yeah. uh, very rarely do you have a director who understands the music as well as someone like Giacchino will. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, off the top of the bat, like Darren, you reviewed the movie for us. What did, uh, what did you think? It's a lot. I mean, I, I really, really love the fact that you can see Giacchino's kind of enthusiasm shining through. Uh, it's himself and Zoe White, I think, is a cinematographer on it. And you can tell that there's an obvious deep abiding affection for the material that they're riffing on. And that's like, obviously, it's the 1930s Universal monster movies, Frankenstein, Bride mm-hmm. of Frankenstein, Invisible Man, etc. But it's also the like, if, if and again, I'm not showing my age, but I'm maybe showing listeners age when I say, if you remember the old like Marvel monster comics of the 70s, they used to be printed sometimes on like black and white, like newspaper stock, because they were cheap cheaper and disposable um and so like they used to look like this as well a lot of these old monster comics like say the tomb of dracula magazine for example would look like this black and white with splashes of red and i just like absolutely kind of adored that and like you mentioned you specifically singled out the soundscape which is something i adored because it's something a lot of homages don't do right because mm-hmm. if you go back and you watch old 30s kind of cinema uh, there's A, there's not a lot of music. There is music, but there's not a lot of it. And B, uh, there's a lot of silence and a lot of ambient noise because sound mixing didn't quite exist in the form yeah, that we know yeah. it today. So there's a lot of like reverb of footsteps and things like that and silence between lines and stuff that you don't get today. And I thought it did an excellent job recreating that where the score would kick in when it was meant to, but you'd also get like echoey effects on the voice, which make it sound like the actors are standing in a stage. Uh, I had a really, really good time with it. I hope that we get a lot more Marvel stuff like it. I have some very minor complaints, uh, which are mainly just Darren being a film nerd making notes. <laughs> uh, but it's like, it's a great, great effort and really, really fun. One of the, the most fun I've had with a Marvel project in a little while. Um, I did prefer Multiverse of Madness, but this is quite, quite close, I think. Nice. Uh, Nick, what did you think? Yeah, I watched it last night. I... I definitely liked it because um, I was kind of like 
it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't want it to end. I would like, you know, once the, uh, the last fight scene kind of happens, I'm like, Oh, like that, that came up too quick. I, I was like, yeah. Oh, I like the slow burn at the start and the, the atmosphere of everything. Um, it just felt like it, that was my biggest complaint. It was like, it just felt too short to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wasn't, I wasn't huge on the design of like the werewolf itself. Um, just seemed too humanoid for me. That's just a personal thing, but you know, it's a Marvel thing. Um, but I definitely liked like the cinematography and the and the soundscape, like all that was great. Um, and it just, yeah, like pretty much what you guys have been saying is like, I, it'd be one of those things that I, I hope Disney does some more experimental stuff with their Marvel properties because like the whole time I was watching that, I was like, man, like this would be kind of, I could almost see uh, Michael doing like Blade in a style like this yeah. and making oh, it that's gonna do well they need a director so. yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> they should i feel like they but should be the looking immediate. at him because like even even the like the, uh, yeah. even yeah. the action scenes were done better than most of their marvel properties where like long yeah. camera shots where you could see what was going on and yeah i thought that scene where the uh door was slowly coming yeah. down and like the awesome. was getting darker and darker like i thought that was a great and like you know they did the sort of effects of like the blood spattering on the camera lens and everything and um yeah, maybe it was it was because they were able to do the black and white thing and not go to color until the end with the sort of the Wizard of Oz homage. But um, yeah, I, th- I thought it just visually was just constantly clever. Like I love the look of that labyrinth that they're going through in the in the opening act, and and like what a what a strange and surreal place this was. Um, I love the reveal of Ted. Like I think that's such a great little fake out of like you're like what's the monster they're hunting, and then the monster turns out to be you know Kyle Garcia Bernal you know bff that was man thing right that's yeah okay i know very little this is like uh marvel starting to get in that corner where i'm like i don't know shit about any of these people so i'm like man thing is different than swamp thing right they're they're yeah they're swamp thing things. is dc swamp thing is dc um okay. obviously has the famous alan moore run which like we yeah. had comments in the 80s uh man thing is primarily known for the steve gerber run which is very good i hardly recommend it but is a bit more esoteric a bit weirder a bit out there okay but they're kind of the same Basic concept, kind <laughs> yeah. of. I mean, the man thing is traditionally presented as a character that doesn't have any personality whatsoever and is famous for his touch burning uh, anything that feels fear. That which knows fear burns at the touch of the man thing. Um, it's also famous for having a series of magazines that were called Giant Size Man Thing, which were just hilarious to everybody when they were 12. Did not realize that was a thing? <laughs> Giant Size Man Thing? I, I mean, it's like sending your mom to the comic book store or a store with a nickel asking you to pick up a giant sized man thing. It's, you know, as uh, you do. I remember uh, when I was in middle school, I got into this anime called The Big O. And uh, it was about it was it was almost like a, it was like a take on Batman, except the, 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 the Batman character was able to summon a giant mech. Uh, really great anime. Um, and I wanted to buy a, a, a DVD of it at a, a local Suncoast videos. And uh I went I went to buy it and my mom was with me and the person at the register thought it was pornography and was started to tell my mom it was pornography and then I had to argue with the person at the register that it was not pornography. In fact, this was an anime that was can be seen on Toonami after school. Um, and so that was just a weird. So just name things differently. Just don't name things the big O or giant size man thing. <laughs> <laughs> that that said, it has it does he does have three giant sized man things dangling off his face. To be fair, it's not as if it's an entirely divorced 
from context names. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is absolutely true. Um, I also thought they nailed the casting, as as Marvel tends to do. Marvel tends to, um, you know, even in the projects that don't quite work for me, I think they, they genuinely nail the casting. Gal Garcia Bernal as uh, Werewolf by Night was great. I thought Laura Donnelly is also Bloodstone. Yes. Amazing. Uh, two, two characters that I hope come back in, in whatever sort of um, corner they're trying to carve out for the either our Midnight Suns or, or the the spooky verse, which again with Blade um, being shelved for the moment, I don't know. You know, I don't know who do they. But is like Moon Knight a part of that? I guess like I, I don't know. Isn't like Oscar what Isaac? Isn't the rumor that Oscar Isaac also didn't sign a contract beyond the first season of Moon Knight? I remember yeah. that rumor going round. Yeah, uh-huh. and so that's that's one of those things. And honestly, Moon Knight to me was like incredibly forgettable. I'd forgotten. <laughs> For, for a thing that stars uh, Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke, who are like two of my favorite working actors, um, just like really did not stick with me. No, whatsoever. it was like the first three episodes, and then the rest of it was just Marvel schlock stuff. Yeah, Marie Abraham, like, like yeah. F. Marie F. Abraham, Abraham is, is, yeah, come to yeah. That's yeah, what um, that's what disappointed me about uh, the Werewolf at Night was just like the it didn't stick to the horror theming of it. By the end, it got very actiony, which is yeah, I know it's Marvel, it's a comic book thing. Um, but it like it, it was another one of those projects where like for me when I watch a lot of Marvel stuff like I'm like there's a lot of potential here for this to be really really good and then it just kind of falls off at the end like I I think I brought it before like that's how I felt about Black Widow where like I really liked the espionage like spy kind of stuff going on at the start of that movie and then yeah, and the becomes, family stuff yeah like there's a lot of interesting stuff and then it falls apart at the end uh, yeah. Moon Knight did that where like it was really getting into the personality disorder and like the mystery of it all and then it becomes like you know take out the big bad guy at the end and uh this this kind of felt like the same to me and also like that's just coming from me as somebody that doesn't know anything about the comics like i'm sure if if you've read the comics this is exactly what you expected um yeah uh, darren you mentioned you had some some nits to pick what uh what what would those be yeah, this is the thing where I'm worried that these are going to sound disproportionately a nitpicky, but also serious when I get into them. <laughs> it's like I'm going to push my glasses up the bridge of my nose as I no, talk about that's these, why you're here. and all the way through the back of my skull. Um, but what I will say <laughs> is that first of all, I did find it a bit bantery. I thought that it could have done with a bit less banter, a bit less kind of jokey stuff. Um, I thought that if it could maybe again be just a bit more serious, makes it sound like it's a very hefty, self-important, prestige piece. But if it could take its environment a bit more seriously in the context of like looking like a 30s action, a 30s mm-hmm. horror movie or 80s horror movie or whatever. The other thing that really bugged me and it just it got under my skin and it kind of stayed there throughout is the idea of this should have been released in a four by three Academy ratio. This should have been um, famously... It was shot in color. Uh, Giacchino wanted to shoot in black and white, uh, but he also, apparently Marvel said no, shoot it in color. And it was until the third cut where he produced a version of it in black and white. He'd been watching on a different monitor. He'd been making sure the shots were calibrated for black and white. And it does look great in black and white. It doesn't Mm -hmm. look like a a post-conversion black and white. It looks like something that was actively shot by white and by uh, Giacchino in a way that would look good in black and white. But he showed it obviously to Feige and Feige said, Okay, go ahead. Which is great. I, I love the like the evolution of the MCU being Kevin Feige discovers film, where it's like Chloe yeah. Zhao. Yeah. Chloe Zhao is like, you could shoot outside, and he's like, can you? He is natural lighting. What? Yeah, and it's white. And like, and, and Giacchino's like, what if you didn't have color? He's like, whoa. Yeah. Um. I, but I like, feel like it, a, I feel like a lot of people like Feige, but I to me it's like he's so afraid of any sort of risk, and that's because of the people above him, of course. But like, I think he's I, just creatively like. He's a production line guy. 
to, to, to speak in Feige's defense, not to derail the podcast or discussion even further, <laughs> I think he's done a remarkable thing. The level of brand consistency across the MCU is remarkable. I, I can't think of another series where that exists. The Bond franchise, which is probably the only comparable like movie franchise, that ping-pongs insanely uh, in quality and tone and all this sort of stuff. Feige's done an excellent job making sure that these things run on time. And like, based on all the rumors and stories that you hear about production after the fact, like the production of Iron Man 2, for example, it sounds amazing that he manages to keep all of these trains running on time. Mm -hmm. They all arrive in the station. And I have absolutely no doubt that like Blade will somehow arrive in the station on time. And like, part of me is like, there's a lot of very clever producer decisions I can see being made that are very much to align towards that goal. Things like the fact that like Mahershala Ali has been cast as Blade, right? And he has appeared at the end of Eternals, but he doesn't appear on screen. And part of me was wondering like, is that to make it easier to replace him in case the yeah. scheduling falls through? Because yeah. he hasn't actually appeared on screen yet as Blade. Like part of me is like, Feige makes a lot of calculated decisions which are very clever and which preserve the brand integrity and are a lot of why the Marvel movies have been as successful as they are, to give him credit. I do think he is overly conservative. I agree with you on that. I do think he he's not taking advantage of the brand's position as the biggest franchise on Earth. He's not trying new or interesting things. But I also think if you look at the marketplace, new and interesting things, they're scattershot, they're hit and miss, and you could end up out on your ass. Like, look, at Feige's looking at Warner Brothers and going there, but for the grace of God, you know? <laughs> um, that, I suspect, is a large part of kind of what, what's happening there. But the other thing that bugged me, the, the thing that gets under my skin, so it, it is shot, in, it was shot in color, post-corrected post, post uh, to black and white. Looks very good. It's also very clear watching it that White and Giacchino shot it for 4 by 3 aspect ratio. There are a number of shots where you can see where there is just nothing on the right side of the screen and nothing on the left side of the screen, and the object that you're meant to focus on is dead ahead of you. And it's very much like there are meant to be two black bars down the side of that screen, and it's really odd to me that they don't do that. It feels very much like a kind of a half measure. And, you know, part of me is like, if you're going to do this, Go whole hog. It's only 53 minutes. Yeah. Um, the, the cost of this could not have been massive. It was a bunch of actors on a sound stage, on a set stage, a small location, uh, locked in. It looks very much like a COVID production. Yeah, You're hiring a so. director who's working for the first time. This is a very cost-effective uh, piece of production you're doing. Why not just take a gamble on it from the start? Why keep hedging your bets so that you make decisions again? Everything is structured so that Marvel just have to decide at the last possible minute. And again, this is part of a wider discussion of things like VFX, where you have like artists talking about, I think, getting pixel fucked is the expression, <laughs> where Marvel will insist... Marvel will insist on being able to make changes to the VFX model until the last possible minute before it releases in cinemas because yeah. they don't like having to make decisions until they absolutely have to. And part of me is like, if somebody had sat down at the start of this and made decisions about what it was going to be... Um, it would have been, I think this is fine. I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot to like here. I think it would have been transcendental and amazing if they had done like, what if they decided to shoot on film instead of digital? What if they didn't mm -hmm. have to add the digital cigarette burns and the grain? What if yeah. that was just something that came naturally? What if they released it in four by three aspect ratio, which it was clearly framed to be released in? Um, like that's the kind of stuff that, that gets at me. And it's like, I know these aren't huge complaints. I don't think it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but part of me is like, that's the film critic part of my brain, which is like, why not go further? Why not follow this idea through to the point where it becomes something so much more? Sorry, I sound like Liam Neeson in Batman Begins. If you make yourself more than just a special presentation. <laughs> no, no it's, uh, people, people have like called me on my cynicism of Marvel, but I mean, like, that's 
it's just how I come out of feeling while watching a lot of their projects is like there's such an interesting like there's they do so many movies and they just to me they just never feel like they live up to what they could be and it always devolves into you know cgi fuck fest as i label it at pretty much all of the end every single movie yeah. ends that way almost i mean it's this is a small thing but like what if instead of doing like cgi blood splatter they used actual blood packs particularly because you're filming in black and white so the color of blood is less of an issue Mm-hmm. Um, I know it means that you have to clean up between shots. <laughs> it makes it harder. No, it does. It makes it harder yeah. to reset. Yeah, it, yeah. it needs more time. It is a it is a cost choice. You have to make in your head and accept that you're doing this. But I think it would look much better than the CGI splatter you get when people are cut. Or what if, like, we all saw a Swamp Thing a couple of years ago, the show produced by James Wan, which had a physical Swamp Thing man in a costume. You're shooting in black and white, so those effects look a lot better. Why can't Man-Thing be a guy in a costume? Why does he have to be a big CGI monster? That sort of thing is the kind of thing that I... And again, it's nitpicks upon nitpicks. It's what, not. I thought it, he was a guy in a costume. I thought I saw a behind-the-scenes okay. picture with that, unless they CG'd him in the behind-the-scenes picture. I think they CG'd him. He looks way, I thought looks I saw the CG'd. crew like hanging out with a Man-Thing. All right, well, quick. Okay, I can't. I, I also can't say I thought I saw the crew hanging out with a Man-Thing. Maybe, 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 they, <laughs> maybe they just CGI'd the face then. Yeah, I have to imagine it wasn't entirely 100% uh, practical. Okay, yeah. Uh, Beatmaster says uh, yeah, there is was a practical with CGI enhancement. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, this, the CGI enhancements then obviously seem quite glaring to me. It's obviously the facial expression, the moving things. I can yeah. see the photo here. It, like, it looks good. Why doesn't it look like that on screen? Yeah. Because <laughs> it got marvel so you got to touch it up. Yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm less cynical about the MCU than you are, Nick, but yeah. I do agree with... Uh, you know, uh, you take something like WandaVision, which like has such a strong vision, no yeah. pun intended, for the first couple episodes. And then by the end, it just turns into uh, two action figures slamming against each other in, yeah. in a scene. And very clearly, like, rewrites and stuff doesn't make sense. And, and the resolution isn't really there. And then the bridge between that and uh, Wanda, uh, Multiverse, Multiverse Madness. Madness just really doesn't make Like, you know, it's clear that things were shifted things were moved around i mean release dates obviously like famously spider-man was supposed to be after multiverse of madness and, and that had to change so. yeah i mean like i like i want to i want to be like i i always find this stuff interesting and like i want to be invested in it but everything you know it's just hard for me at this point to get bother getting invested in it because of like the resolution of every movie is the same you know yeah and so like it's it's I don't know. I just feel frustrated when I watch them. It's like exactly what you said. Like there are a lot of these projects that have really strong visions behind them. And then it, you can like feel when Marvel or Disney come in and say, all right, here's what this needs to be to get the most audience reaction from boom. Yeah. And then, you know, the vision falls apart. And like, I feel like we say it on almost every Marvel thing. We've every Marvel show we've watched. I feel like we said it same yeah. thing. Even, I mean, even Loki, even though we all like really like that one. I don't think Loki fell apart. I thought well, I think the the penultimate episode of Loki's pretty weak, but I think the yeah. last episode. Yeah, the last episode the last episode also, was good, but penultimate. New yeah. new photos, Jonathan Majors. Jesus fucking Christ. That guy <laughs> is ripped. That guy is cut. <laughs> there was just like a men's fitness cover story today, and I was like, <laughs> I had the vapors. I had to sit down. <laughs> Are we announcing the arrival of a major new talent? Ah, uh, <laughs> that is a giant size man thing right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, I don't know, what, the next Marvel thing we have to talk about is going to be uh, Wakanda Forever, right? Because there's no TV show on the docket, which is weird, right? There's no... Yeah. It's so, Star Wars time now. 
Well, yeah, that's the so the, the two things I was gonna say were a uh, uh, Wakanda Forever. I still have incredibly high hopes for because yeah. uh, Ryan Coogler is incredible, and the trailers have looked incredible. And if they deal with the passing of Chadwick Boseman in the way that I hope they deal with, like it could be like sort of a like once in a lifetime movie. It could be really amazing. Yeah. Uh, also, for a long time, part of me was like, well, you know what? It's Disney, and Disney. You know, maybe Disney just can't do it any different. But then we get Andor, and I'm like, well, shit, Disney can do it different. Yeah, so know. what are we <laughs> doing? so annoying about them. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost by accident, though, again, which is yeah, the really frustrating yeah. thing about Andor, where it's like Disney had a version of the show they wanted to make, and it fell apart. So, like, uh, I guess we'll make Tony Gilroy's version. Yeah. I guess with that, want to just, uh, you know, we'll just transition straight into Andor, I guess. Um, okay. I, I, I don't have a Disney ton to talk about it. it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the Disney stuff out of the way. Um <laughs> Uh, again, I don't. This is a, a weird show for me because it's one of those things that I watch and I'm like, oh, this is probably my favorite thing I've watched. It's like right up there with House of the Dragon now is like my favorite things I watch of the week. Uh, but whereas like House of the Dragon, I feel like has so much meat on the bone I need to talk about with Andor. I just finished it and I'm like, that was great. Like that was great. No notes. You did. You did. You, you knocked it out of the park, Andor. And maybe it's because these episodes are like Darren, like you said, are going to feel like they're we're, like we're seeing almost acts of a story. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to, you know, judge it based on the the, the three episode arc. Um, but yeah, this episode, the axe forgets. Um, I'm amazed at how quickly they've got me to give a shit about um, uh, uh, Andor's buddies, like his his rebel buddies. That I'm like, oh man, they're all gonna die this week. Like they're all gonna die in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just know, like this thing is absolutely gonna go like balls up, and this this plan is not gonna go well. We know Cassian's gonna get out of there, but I'm like, oh, this is. This is not going to go great, and and they've done such a great, such a great and economical job of again getting me to care about these characters in a way that their other six episode miniseries. By the end of it, I'm like, I really don't care about Boba Fett. Like, I just don't do not care about Boba Fett whatsoever. It's, it's just because there's actual dialogue in this show. <laughs> like, you go yeah. back to Boba Fett and even Man- Mandalorian, all that. There's hardly any talking in scenes. It's it's. It, that's what like really stands out for me with Andor. It's like it's taking its time. You get to know the characters. You get to spend time with people. And when I, if you go back and watch Mando or Obi Wan and everything, every scene just feels like it's leading to the next action beat over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, like I'm with you. Like I, I, I definitely get the complaints from people that Andor feels a little bit slow because like not not a whole lot happened last episode. But I'm also you know going back to last week when we talked about it. I like that we're seeing more of the actual world of Star Wars and the politics and the the way things are run and everything because like I just I feel like I'm getting to know that world better and that it's not just you know focused on lightsabers and force it's like there's a mm-hmm. whole empire you have to deal with and the the show is really showing how people normal people just deal with it yeah the fact that again we, the fact that we know just based on its structure that ne- next week is presumably going to take us to the fireworks factory mm-hmm. if only because we've seen the trailers but also because that is how a traditional three-act structure works yeah mm-hmm. um it's not as if they're going to go okay so we've thought about this daring raid that we're going to conduct on the imperial payroll and uh we're all just going to go off and become farmers instead <laughs> this is now a sitcom we decided yeah. um i feel like you know it kind of buys and earns your trust and i like that like because that's one of the problems I have with a lot of kind of modern streaming stuff, and again, you know, I'm very fond of the criticism that it's all just shapeless soup that is arbitrarily cut into a chunk that is six, 60 minutes long or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where, like, if you were to show me the Book of Boba Fett as one giant thing and ask me where the episode breaks were, I don't know if I could identify them, which is a problem. But I do think that, you know, 
generally speaking, a lot of these shows have to have X number of beats. There has to be every episode of Obi-Wan has to has, have an action beat in it. It has to have some sort of big thing in it to draw your attention. Every episode of She-Hulk has to have a big She-Hulk CGI throwdown in it. Um, that sort of stuff. And it's like, even if that thing is completely unrelated to the actual story that is happening, it's just like, no, we've hit the clock. We're almost at 30 minutes. She has to turn into She-Hulk and she has to punch something aggressively. Um, yeah. you know, even though that's not necessarily what the plot is about or whatever. Like she has to be ambushed by the wrecking crew at one point, for example, at the end of an episode. That yeah. sort of thing. There has to be something in there to hold the audience's attention. And I like that this is like, no, we'll we'll trust that the audience is going to stay with us until next week when we deliver that. So we will just have scenes of characters talking forebodingly. We're going to let Mon Mothma and her husband sit in a car quietly together on the way home, simmering resentment between them as if we're watching Marriage Story. Um, yeah. I kind of kind of love that the show respects its audience enough to do that to be fair yeah and i love that it's taking the time to even like linger on uh, guys like karn like the the the, the, the uh, sort of show like what is driving him is his you know mom scolding him for being like a shitty hitler you like you know what i mean like like <laughs> it's, it's cheerios <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's it's amazing it's something that i never thought i would see in a star wars thing and he's such like uh you know, in the grand scheme of things, he's not nearly as cool as a villain like Darth Vader or anything like that. But he's like, it's so fascinating seeing the machinations in place yeah. and knowing like, oh, these are all the reasons this guy's going to end up doing something terrible by the end of the show. Oh, shout out to Nick, by the way. His mother is played by the witch from the Macbeth movie earlier this year. That's right. Yeah. Catherine, yeah. T- Catherine Hunter? Is Catherine Hunter? Yeah. yeah. And she was in uh, she was in one of the Harry Potter movies as well. Or the yeah, um, uh, which is which is one of because I had a big moment of I recognize this character, but not like this. Um, yeah, kind of moments with her, yeah, wonderfully cool unpleasant. One, yeah. of the, uh, one of the other things I really like about Andor is it's making the Empire not feel completely incompetent because the movies, I mean, all the movies and all the shows so far really have made the Empire just look weak and not really threatening. Yeah, you know, aside from the Death Star, even in the movies, like the only thing that was ever really threatening about the the empire I felt in the movies was, yeah, they have a, a weapon that'll destroy planets. But mm. as far as like their ground troops or like their, their government style, like there was none of that shown ever. And so yeah. like the fact that they are using the show as a way to like, Hey, the empire has a lot of, um, um, resources at their disposal. And like, it's a setup and established thing that has complete and total control over people. Yeah. But it's also like this slow moving bureaucracy. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. that's where like the the weakness comes in. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Beatmaster brought it up and I completely agree. They made a lone TIE fighter scary. Yeah. Like, which is incredible because those are things you just don't think about it in the same way you don't think about stormtroopers. Like to you, they're just like gnats that you like, yeah. you know, swat away. But they made a lone TIE fighter like genuinely scary. Like, oh my god, this could ruin everything, this one ship. Yeah. But the sound, and it, again, it's sound design. It's just really well made yeah. on a technical, yeah. like, craft level oh, where you yeah. hear it building, like, it's buzzing towards you. Again, my, and it's uh, just one. On my yeah. speakers, that thing boomed behind me. I was like, holy yeah. shit. I was not expect- like, yeah. I've heard TIE Fighter sounds. I did not expect it to, like, make my house shake. Yeah. And again, it's, uh, it, it, you know, when they're, when they're filming, when they're in a gully or when they're, um, you know, in their little, uh, little, shantytown culvert like it it feels real because it's a real place because it's not just a bunch of ones and zeros on a screen and as impressive as the ones and zeros can look in things like 
I don't know, at the end of the day, there's a reason Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies stand out, and it's because so much of that was filmed on location in New Zealand. And I mean, to be fair, like, the volume has its uses and stuff like that. I mean, I I thought it was quite good in the first season of Mandalorian, I thought it was great in the Batman, but, like, these things need to look different from each other. Like, that's the thing. They can't all look the same, particularly if you're going to be releasing, like, the the always-on model that I think Paramount Plus want with Star Trek and, like, Disney want with Marvel and Star Wars, where it's just, like, a constant churn of this stuff. It needs to be different. And watching Andor needs to feel different than watching The Mandalorian and needs to feel different than watching Book of Boba Fett. And I think that this really does. This is the first one that feels truly different from any of the other ones, which I I love about it. Yeah. Like, like, you could show me in... Sorry, go. Well, I mean, even, even with, like, the volume like you know do you really need to simulate sand do you need to simulate a forest you know because like uh obi-wan when she's running through the forest was almost like i mean that was i feel like that was all on the sounds on the on the uh the stage and it just looked yeah awful. that was just a very poorly i mean that whole that whole scene was that whole scene was awful but yeah. like none of the locations they went to even when like uh you were in the forest of luke later on at the training grounds like none of it looked good it just looked really yeah. cheap and, and dumb, dull. And then you come to Andor and it's like, oh my God, natural landscapes. Like they're in a real forest. It looks great. <laughs> well, I mean, look, at least Luke looked good in those scenes. Am I right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> who, can, who can ever complain about that? Valley I never want to go back to. Yeah, you're talking about like the valley that they're in in Andor. It's a very yeah, different. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'd be more scared of that Luke flying above me than a TIE fighter. <laughs> that, oh, God, he's here. His, he's his, just his, just his dead eyes looking at you like, I found you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, to, to tomorrow's tomorrow's new episode. And then, it's interesting because I'm looking at the the breakdown and tomorrow is the last of the three uh, written by uh, Susanna White Dan and Gilroy. Dan Gilroy. But then oh, there's uh, a one episode. Oh, flipped. Sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, written by Dan Gilroy, directed by uh, Susanna White. But then there uh, there's one episode with uh, Benjamin Carrion and Stephen Schiff before it goes into another group of three. So I'm curious if that's judging by that if that's going to feel like a one-off like if this episode is going to either have a different point of view or sort of you know maybe this is entirely this episode will entirely be about like one of mon mothma's fucked up dinner parties which i would personally love um but yeah just have it be like a 30 minute wonder about a dinner party gone awry uh but um, what is yeah. what is Pedagascar's story? The the Adrian Lesser character. What's his yeah. deal? We just spent a day with him riding the riding the subway on cars. The crazy thing is, like, there's a chance that we get that. Like, it it feels like like it's it's crazy for us. Um, you know, relatively low stakes in terms of like, you know, there's no Death Stars, there's no Sith, there's no anything. Like, everything seems like it's on the table, which is so exciting. Like, it's it's so exciting. Whereas, like, every other show, you can start to be like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. Like, I don't know where this is going. And I think it's great. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just genuinely excited for it. Yeah, um, One I would shout out about the Shift thing is Shift was the original showrunner. Shift was the showrunner that Disney picked. Uh, he's a, is he a veteran of, is the Americans or Mad Men? I think it's the Americans. Oh, um, interesting. But he was the original showrunner and he couldn't deliver what Disney wanted on time before they went back to Gilroy, which is interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting that this is the episode where he has credits. Because you've seen with other projects, those typically come earlier. So like when Fuller gets kicked off Star Trek Discovery, he has a teleplay credit on the first couple of episodes yeah. and a story credit on the next couple. Hosina Mini had a story had a story credit on the first couple of Obi-Wan episodes before yeah. he got kicked off. Um, but part of me is like, Schiff actually wrote this himself, it seems. Which yes. makes you wonder, what, what is this going to look like? This is yeah. like a showrunner who either parted ways 
by choosing to do so or was parted ways with. But like getting to write a standalone episode in the middle of the season. I'm yeah, maybe there was one idea that both parties love so much that they're like, all right, we're going to we got to we got to tell this story. So. Yeah, right here. Yeah. Uh, it's the dinner party. It's going to be the dinner party. party. <laughs> got to be the dinner party. I will, I will um, say like, you know, as cynical as I am about the Disney stuff, like even the Star Wars stuff kind of uh really looking forward to Mandalorian season three because they're go- they're going to Mandalore so like we're gonna finally see something really new there mm-hmm. uh so you know hopefully hopefully like they figure out the volume can be used for building like real areas because <laughs> uh that episode in Boba Fett on the station like the halo looking station was incredible oh yeah that was the one uh Darren's written by uh, Darren like literally like his internet paused for a second and he just like disappeared like <laughs> It was like he was there and then he was gone. And I was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little jump scare. Um, I also think he just froze uh, with a creepy smile. Oh, there it is. He absolutely froze with a creepy smile. Uh, yeah, that was, the, uh, that was the episode directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. I thought it was great. It had mm-hmm. that sort of like interesting wonder that they did using volume, but also using, you know, movable sets. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I thought that was one of the coolest looking yeah. uh coolest looking things they did that season and i'm excited because all the all the rumors are pointing towards lars mickelson being cast as uh as thrawn which uh, i think he would be great um so yeah let 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 the the other mickelson boy cook (laughs) yeah so i I want the mickelsons to be as uh renowned as the the sars guards i want i just want i just want them in everything everything i watch suddenly there's a mickelson or a sars guard just sprinkled in there so (laughs) but it's always one you don't recognize that's gonna be the trick it's like Eason's or the Scars guys, like there's another one. Yeah, it's like I'm, there can't be two talented people in this family. Yeah. It's like no, there's yeah. five. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Um, all right. Well, that was Star Wars. Uh, you want to move on to Rings of Power, Episode Seven, The Eye. Um, if you guys thought that all the characters who were in the blast radius of Mount Doom being created were going to die. Uh, you were wrong because no one important died, except boy whose name I can't remember, but friend of Isildur. Not the one friend, the other friend. I yeah. think he died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, one, the one that was yeah. saying in his first battle that he's never going to battle again. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, he did never battle again. I guess he signed his own yeah. death warrant. Um, well, so yeah, this, welcome this, to dramatic this, irony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this episode, uh, uh, yeah, it, it it featured the the fallout from the creation of Mount Doom, which ultimately didn't seem like that drastic of a fallout, other than well, we can't go there anymore, so we we got to go somewhere else. Uh, more uh, more of the stranger uh, and his his uh, seemingly uh, 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 positive powers, bringing life back to a burned grove. Uh, but then they kicked him out too early, and then the weird uh, the weird slim shadies are after him. Uh, and again, uh, this is just reaffirming that, oh, my God, I give a shit about the, the Durin and Elrond stuff so much more than mm-hmm. anything else on this show. I think it is so much better. Every scene with Durin and Elrond, I'm like, this is incredible. Like all of their, their conversations when Durin was was going to bring up uh, his, uh, uh, you know, tell him his real name that he only shares with people, shares with brothers. And Elrond is like, wait and tell me on the other side. I was like, oh. My God, yeah, they're never gonna get to those, another side. Those, are they? those scenes are almost like they were written by another writer. <laughs> it, it was, it's 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 <laughs> incredible. I just don't I don't understand it. And then the yeah between Durin and, and Papa Durin and uh, you know Peter Mullen, like I thought those scenes were great. Um, 
it's a very this is just a very confusing show for me because whenever they're on the screen i love it and whenever they're not i'm uh, uh kind of bored i mean i do think that the past two episodes have been much better than the four before them maybe the three before them. yeah yeah as soon as, um, as, soon like as they I, got I, out I, of numenor it it got better <laughs> like they just the numenor yeah. did nothing for the show right now and there was a whale before Numenor as well, which was like, we're going to spin the wheels before we get to Numenor and really spin the wheels. Yeah. The little pre-wheel spinning, wheel spinning going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do quite, I quite like these last two episodes, I have to say. I'm just, I'm like, why did we have to wait so long to get to the fireworks factory? I don't feel like the character work that we have done with those characters has been so significant that we needed to take that much time. As you say, the only character work that really works is, is like Elrod and Durin 4. Um, the other stuff all feels very perfunctory. I don't feel like I know any of these characters at all. And I've spent seemingly like a hundred hours of my life with them waiting for them to get on a boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. I I mean, I like Durin and Elrond, of course. Um, I really like Arondir, um, and 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 Bron Bronwyn. 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 Yeah, I like. I I do like what they're doing there because it's like I don't feel like Lord of the Rings like really got to explore like relationships too much in that way. Um, it's, a, it's pretty sexless. It text. yeah. It's it's well it's sexless, but it's also just uh, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see like you know elf and human trying to make things work because like they explore that a little bit with aragon or aragorn and uh uh arwen arwen but yeah, so. you know you get like three scenes of their relationship and that's kind of it so yeah. i'm more curious like how this develops over the upcoming seasons but like i just i feel like theo is like really poorly casted uh the the son yeah which i'm even more convinced now that he's his, he's around their son well, I don't know. You keep saying like, <laughs> I, like I just don't. I don't think these two people have ever had sex. Like, I don't. Do you think anybody in a Tolkien work has ever had sex, Marty? Uh, I think I think the hobbits they they root they root they, around. They just get on. Yeah. <laughs> they go, when they get yeah. out of Farmer Hoggett's farm or whatever, and they yeah, steal with the brandy wine. It's yeah. all hair and yeah, sweat. Yeah. I don't. Know. I still think he's his son for some reason. I, just because I haven't seen his ears yet, I think they're hiding his ears on purpose. Even though he's been thrown around and his hair hasn't moved, maybe uh, the actor just has it in his rider that uh, <laughs> I don't get to show my ears. He has like the only fans for his ears. Uh, um, I thought he was a little. I thought Theo was a little uh, better characterized in this episode, just pairing him with Galadriel. I thought there was a. Uh, there was something interesting there and, and he had like a mild arc at the end of it. And I like how Galadriel was trying to almost like wrestle with her awful thoughts um, in the previous episode, like what, what she wanted, what she wanted to do to Adir or Adar. Um, that's the, yeah. was, is that his name? Adar uh, father? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, these characters, Adar. these characters just need different names. <laughs> there are so um, many. Um, yeah, there's so I many. Know, I know. I love that we're about to go into House of the Dragon, which has like Aegon and A and Amon. Which literally, brothers, too many, if, and like if everyone here had Aegon, we wouldn't have had that problem. If we would just have different names, no one would be like, "Oh, I'm sure the Aegon you're talking they're, about is they're, my Aegon." They're, like an, they're, the Aegon. they're just they're an Italian family. It's it's either That's John or Dominic or yeah. <laughs> or Michael. Yeah, so they all had wives yeah. named yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty spot on. But um, yeah, I like the again, I like the character growth we saw with uh, Theo I don't understand like the, the Numenorians are going back to Numenor just to come back to fight like I don't understand what just send the, send the uh, eagle like, back to tell them more bring more <laughs> yeah I don't again I'm not I'm not 100% sure what like everyone's actual I, game plan is on this show 
I feel like a lot of that is is lore stuff, unfortunately. A lot of that is like, well, she has to go back to Numenor for the stuff that has to happen on Numenor. 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 Yeah. What happens in Numenor stays in Numenor, but it's like... Because it gets buried under the sea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like, the the lost city of Atlanta. But yeah, though, she has to go and and kind of like... um, So that's why she has to go back. She has to go back because she has to metaphorically bring the darkness, which has kind of contaminated her, like, radiation. You know, the fact that she is... She's she's literally blind, Marty. Yeah, yeah. And she's metaphorically blinded. Oh, as well. I see what they did there. See what they did by there. the evil. Oh my. Yeah, yeah. Um, but incredible. It's it, it's yeah, it's not subtle. But I mean, Lord of the Rings arguably never really subtle. But yeah, that sort of stuff does feel like you can feel the the hands on the board going. Okay, we need the piece to move here, even yeah. though it doesn't necessarily make sense. It would make more sense for them to return defeated, and then like we will build our forces back up and come back, as opposed to I'm just going to nip home and pick up a pint of milk and then we'll yeah, be right yeah, here. but then we'll be right back. I promise you, yeah. and we'll know exactly yeah, where just... the battle is again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just very strange that there's also one episode left, um, just because it feels like there's so many dangling threads. Like, you know, this teased the, the Balrog, and I don't know if that's going to be a thing that pays off in the next episode, or if that's going to be the thing that kills uh, Peter Mullins' uh, Durin, so that, you know, gives gives away for this Durin to become... And even though when Durin was talking to his wife, I'm like, ooh, this isn't a great conversation. Yeah, like, this is starting to veer into, like, my precious territory, and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Like, this this isn't going to be great. Um, but, uh, yeah, and if we're going to get the, like, uh, you know, if we're finally going to get payoffs on, like, do we think the stranger is, you know, actually Gandalf, and do we think, uh, uh, you know, uh, Haldron is uh, Haldron, Sauron? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just curious where they're gonna like where they're gonna tie each of these stories off yeah. while we wait a my, year for the thing to to return. My other, yeah. my only, my other big issue with this episode, and I still mostly enjoyed it, um, but we've I think we've kind of talked about the scale of the world feeling kind of small, even though it's all of Middle Earth that we're looking at right now, mm-hmm. and the Southlands are this one village. Or have they killed? I mean, I know they've they've burnt and killed off other villages, but I mean, like, you know, they act like the king of the Southlands. He's like, what are you, king of this like twenty person town? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, it doesn't the 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 stri- like Mordor being formed and the volcano exploding and the desecration of this land. Like, the impact doesn't feel big enough. It doesn't feel like it affected enough people besides the small little bastion of humans yeah. that was just living in a small area of the southlands yeah like who ruled the south like obviously the elves were controlling the southlands as a protectorate or whatever and they were leaving but what wh- who ruled southland after they left what was the transition of power like there and i know this is a very nerdy conversation to have but it's not like you don't just ret- like all ignoring what we saw you know in afghanistan you know last year or whatever you don't just withdraw your troops and like just assume everything will sort itself out you have to yeah. assume that there's some sort of peacekeeping government that is in place and some sort of infrastructure. And it really seems like the guy who owns the tavern in that one small town in the Southlands speaks for all of us, apparently. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a very strange kind of layout. Because even like when you go to Lord of the Rings, when you go to like Jackson's movies, there are there are lords and smaller kings. There are fiefdoms. And the kings 
gods answer to higher yeah. kings and stuff like that, like Rohan and Gondor. And like you get a sense that even within this relatively tight geographic area, there are alliances and relationships. Here, you're right. It does literally seem like there's one village that has a tavern in it where everybody meets. And it's like, boy, this has been a long week. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Beast, Beastmaster well, it, says, wasn't the land more or less cursed after the first betrayal of the people living yeah. there? Like, yeah, it, I feel like there wasn't many people left in the Southlands because like the elves were basically... I don't think they were defending the Southlands. They were basically making sure no. that those people didn't become bad again. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. but the scale yeah. of that just wasn't like the threat doesn't. I mean, that's if, if they're watching one little town, that threat doesn't really seem big enough to care about. <laughs> yeah. And well, and it's, I, I'm, I'm feeling the same sort of confusion with like, okay, I like, I understand the, the light is leaving the elves. And so they're all going to have to leave Middle Earth. And I'm like, well, is this every, is this all the elves or is this just the elves who live in this one elf town? Like, is, is Rivendell a thing right now? Like, is Rivendell's trees like popping? Like, can you just, can you go live there? And like all their trees are fine. Uh, I'm just, uh, yeah, again, it is, it sounds like nerdy nitpicks, but I think this is a show where you kind of need to like understand the the politics of it not in like being political but in like okay just what like let me wrap my head around what the what is actually going on like what are the actual stakes here and like how many people are here where are they actually like you said the power hierarchy and everything well, like, am like, i seeing everything or just a slice am i seeing a vertical slice of this or am i seeing the whole cake yeah, and that's, not, yeah. that's unclear to me yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Well, they're, they're they're doing all this world building and like the only place that feels like a real lived-in space to me with a culture and like way things are run is uh Cara Dune. Yeah. Oh, Cara Dune. Yeah. Dune. Yeah, like even even Numenor. You don't like, talk about Cara Dune anymore. <laughs> yeah, but uh <laughs> but uh, uh even Numenor is like they have that whole council of politics and everything and also that guy that's trying to take power and it's like this season it doesn't seem to matter right now. It's like a plot thread like you said that's going to be bigger but when she goes it. back. But it doesn't. Yeah, he, who the fuck is this guy? Who is like, who is Isildur's sister? Farzar, yeah, yeah Farzar <laughs> is like r apparently ruling the roost back there right now. But the show doesn't really care. He's presumably yeah. given that everybody else we met in Numenor has left. Yeah. Like, what is he doing? Is he just wandering around the corridors, <laughs> like singing like Elton John songs to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's able to wander around naked because no one because his roommates aren't <laughs> yeah. home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, they're gonna for whatever they do in the next season, they're gonna have to like really focus in on what's the story we want to tell here because they're trying to tell like six different stories at once here the story of the fall of Numenor the story of the fall of uh Dune, whatever you say it uh, you, you nailed it yeah the fall of, of the Southlands all these yeah. all these areas of you know the the fall of the elves it's all the fall of all these different people so and, and if you're wrapping up season one with what i don't know like i don't like you already had the battle of the southlands the southlands are lost and you had your mordor title reveal so the only Which i thought was pretty i'll be honest was, i thought that title reveal that was, was bad pretty, pretty, that was bad pretty dumb yeah like you didn't need to do that no like, we, we understood what was going on here yeah um i love that it assumes that people don't recognize like mount doom but know the name mordor mordor yeah oh yeah yeah i got that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> never, seen like, oh, the, never seen a frame of the movies but i decided to watch the show Big that's the book mordor book. yeah well, they, um, they that need moment to... where my mom punches me and goes it's mordor yeah <laughs> what i was what i was afraid of with the show was that they were going to try to be a pre prequel to the lord of the rings which obviously it is but yeah it's not as 
like House of the Dragon feels is a prequel to Game of Thrones, yeah, but it's also telling its own self-contained story. Yeah. This doesn't feel like it's doing that yet. It's I don't know what the there's no central yeah. focus point because I thought yeah. it was gonna be the creation of Mordor and that happened an episode ago. Like this the creation of Mordor is thought where this season was gonna end. And now yeah. I'm thinking, well now this season has to end with Kazadun and and digging too deep and awakening the Bal- Balrog and the fall of yeah, I think you're probably right. It's gonna be the fall of Durin's father in the last episode. And that's gonna yeah, set up a whole chain of events now leading to the fall yeah. of a domino effect, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm I'm hoping they just answer a lot of these questions we have, like the the, the who is Sauron, what is the stranger kind of thing by the end of the season, so that like as much as I am a fan of, of bullshit mystery box things, like I don't think that needs to be this show. I don't think the show needs to have that. Yeah. Um uh and and because also at, at other points it isn't because like you know there's no emotional weight to oh a seal dior is dead because he's not because yeah. we know he's not yeah. because yeah. he plays a pivotal role leading up to lord of the rings like you mm-hmm. literally see him in the opening scene of peter jackson's lord of the rings also, movies. They, they handled that horribly because like he's there in the scene crying over his friend the next scene it's like oh he's dead what yeah big building <laughs> building fell on him. like That's what happens when fiery buildings fall on did you. the building fall on him oh the building did I fall think, on him i think he like he went in to save some people from a burning building and it fell on him i, I think literally I, I thought that was some other random person so <laughs> that's the problem with the mystery box you can't do a prequel and a mystery box like you can no. probably get away with it arguably with something like say better call soul where you have like characters like howard hamlin or obviously um you know raya seahorn's character yeah who yeah. Are like, yeah and kim who are like you know okay we don't know what happens to them we can build up a mystery or anxiety over that yes yeah, so you're constantly whereas, worried if like kim's gonna die by the end of this yeah thing. yeah whereas on the other hand like with a prequel it's like it doesn't matter which of these people is sauron because i already know the most important events in sauron's life he yeah. like he made a ring and he poured all of his malice and evil into it and tried to conquer Middle Earth and got his finger cut off, but that didn't stop him. Oh yeah. no! And it's like <laughs> I feel like anything before that is going to be largely inessential to me understanding who or what Sauron is. Like if he's Hellbrand, what does Hellbrand's time as a human being tell me about Sauron? How does it inform anything that I care about about this character when I watch like the Lord of the Rings and I'm like, oh, that makes sense because he was on a boat that was meant by a whale one time (laughs) that's why he hates men because the whale attacked his boat yeah 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 yeah, you know the main reason i'm watching this show now is because i'm like well of course we're covering it duh but i my main focal point of the main reason i'm watching it yeah my my main (laughs) focal point of interest is seeing kaza dune fall like i think that's a there's a big emotional payoff to come there because yeah. I, I legitimately, yeah, you're right. Like uh, Elrond and, and Durin control the screen when they're on it. Like I love, yeah, I yeah. love everything down happening in there. Like there's emotional weight to like making the decision to save the elves, but also his father knows if you dig too deep, you're gonna, it's bad for us. <laughs> like you're gonna cause the fall of everything we care about. Like mm-hmm. there's stakes in that. And then like the rest of the show, there just isn't stakes right now. Like Galadriel, no, there's no stakes for her character. I like that we're all considering that next episode is going to be an endurance test. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And I mean, I do agree that the drama <laughs> in Moria really dwarfs all the other yeah. uh, I also like it. also like it. I hate it, but I like it. Um, 
And yeah, beat Messer. Uh, Doran's wife, I think. Yeah, is great. It's just really. Yeah, yeah she's great, great character. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, it was a nice twist to see her like push him to go for power. Like I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like they they want again like all the power in the show. They th- they want it for good, mm-hmm. but but also like we have to do kind of corrupt ugly yeah. things to yeah. get there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. You always want more. Yeah. God, Jesus Christ, Darren. What is happening? I felt like you were like holding can, him back see, this entire time. I can see time. the veins in his brain turning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you have a per hour, like uh, a number you have to hit, and you're like, oh shit, we're only got four minutes until the end of the hour. I got to get these in. Uh, also, uh, Megan Santucci, welcome to Early Access. Thank you so much, Megan. Welcome, Megan. Um, all right. For the last thing, do you want to move on to House of the Dragon? Yes. Give Which Patty had, all the awards. Patty was so good. Also, Patty is nasty. Fun. It's so it's so good. So this was episode eight, uh, Lord of the Tides. This was, um, I uh, I think, assumed the the curtain call for Patty Constantine's uh, uh, character of Saris. Um, you know, we had a six year time jump. I believe they said from the last episode yeah. of this episode, but I think they've said this is it. Yeah, yeah. This is the let- in terms of Matt Smith is said. Yeah, Matt Smith is yeah. said. From here on out, we're pretty much yeah. Because they can't have different kids play these actors anymore. You can't. You just gotta <laughs> stick with them. Also, the kid who's playing Eamon is so good. And I'm yeah. like, you can't. You can't recast this kid. This kid is like a perfect foil for Matt Smith. Um, I do also love the idea that they keep casting the children older, but keep Matt Smith. So eventually, the children are played by like Charles Dance or Bill Nye, <laughs> and like it's just yeah, Matt Smith. It's still there. Yeah, it's really, really incredible. <laughs> Matt Smith doesn't even. They're not even trying to make him look older. No, he looks exactly the same as he did in the first episode. You, you put him beside Paddy Constantine. His hair has changed every time. He's it's cut and then grown longer. They've just yeah. changed yeah. the wig that they put him in. And yeah. I love that it's like like the idea of like Paddy Constantine, like who looks older than Matt Smith to begin with. But it's yeah. always been like Matt Smith has been kind of like here, and Paddy Constantine's been like. Now here I am. I'm 54 on my deathbed, but I look like I'm 119. Um, yeah. And uh, Tijakar with was a two dollar dono, thank you so much. Says would just like to say this was a strong episode. <laughs> I love strong boys. Yeah, a lot of strong boys. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think like honestly, the the uh, dinner scene I think is like yeah. one of my favorite scenes ever in any Game of Thrones material uh, yeah. because it was just so emotionally well done. Where mm-hmm. I'm like, God damn, I feel the pain of Patty, or like he's he just wants his family to be healthy and good like this is all his last wish and it's like you know it's not gonna happen and you just feel bad for him because he tried to be a good king he tried to be a good father like the best that he could while also doing his role as king and it's just like completely Mm -hmm. destroyed him trying to be good (laughs) yeah i thought i thought the entire probably 20 30 minute stretch uh starting with everything in the throne room and and patty making that slow walk up uh, 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 just absolutely like heartbreaking, not wanting anyone's help. And then when he stumbles on the steps, you see it's Damon there to help him, yeah. and he accepts Damon's help. Like fucking crushed me, absolutely crushed me. Uh, that entire scene, like him being able to still assert like one last sort of gasp of of uh, uh, you know kingly confidence, and uh, having having. Uh, uh, Vaymond, uh, you know, <laughs> call them out as, as bastards, and then having uh, uh, Damon say, "Say it," like just knowing, saying, "Like, please, just say it." And then he calls them bastards and calls Rainier a whore, and he says, "I'll have your tongue for that." And he just cuts his head off above his tongue. <laughs> yeah. 
fucking great. Damon, <laughs> he Damon is just, yeah, yeah. Damon is just a, a prime time player there. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, adored that. And then yeah, like Nick said, everything in the everything in that dinner scene, and it's heartbreaking because you get that point where it's like, for the first time in five episodes Alice yeah in decades Alice and Rhaenyra seem to like finally warm up to each other but the poison that they've inherited from their parents has already passed on to their kids and so even if they make up it clearly doesn't matter because they've infected their kids with this rage and with this venom and and you know you get uh Aemon and Aegon you know both of them both both sets of kids egging each other on until you know it comes to blows and i feel like that's the first time ever in anything game of thrones i've seen people like laugh and smile <laughs> yeah people were kind of happy yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like that's how you know it can't last i mean to be fair yeah. the episode does signpost that there's a the moment where viserys is carried out and like yep. the roast pig, pig is, pig is brought in. In. yeah, yeah. You're like, no, in case you don't great. get how impotent he is yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. we literally replaced him on the table with a roasted pig that we are yeah. going to tear them from him and then they put the pig in front of Aemon and then the, the one of her sons starts laughing at him because he that was the pig that was given you know that instead of a dragon he didn't have a he yeah. didn't have a dragon so he had the pink pig I'm like fucking just don't laugh <laughs> just keep it in like just be the bigger man like this is like this doesn't have to happen um and uh yeah yeah I I, I really thought that was great and I think uh yeah I, I think they've absolutely nailed the casting for Aemon like I think he's he's yeah he's gonna be like a fan favorite character to hate to and, hate uh, yeah and then uh yeah you know who you know who sucks Aegon Aegon sucks guys <laughs> I mean <laughs> that dude really Aegon, sucks Aegon was better when he was like played by Titanen when he was yeah. kind of like the harmless kid who like jerk offs at the window yeah now he's the, just, now he's the rapist in the tower yeah, um, yeah. Like and then and then his mom has to apologize to his sister wife I'm like oh Jesus Christ what is going on here <laughs> I, I, I love I love the for for Marty that the the operative word there is apologize not sister wife it's like the, she shouldn't have to apologize to his sister wife she should just be happy Look what you've done you've you've ruined your sister wife uh, which they have two children too which they didn't really show but the the uh Aegon and and helena have two two babies so a um Aegon is married to his sister yeah is married to his sister yeah, yeah. well a- the thing is like so that was the thing where Aemon so was that, like that, yeah I'm, t- I'm into that and Aegon was like i'm not really into that and Aegon, yeah. Aemon's like well screw you then so that, he's like so okay that, i'll screw your sister yeah. um so that's why he took her off to go dance with her to basically yeah. say fuck you okay because i didn't realize yeah, yeah. Didn't he's realize like i'll just take yeah. your wife out here yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> and yeah and they have two babies which they've referenced in one line um they say something about how take uh, taking care of the babies um, and so um yeah not not great, not great. <laughs> there's a lot of this family tree is uh yeah twisted all over well, it's also place. at this point like allison kind of always saw herself above the incest and was like, oh, I'm above this. I'm like a holy lady. And then it's like, well, your, your kids, you, you, your grandkids are also your nieces, or I don't know how that works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, pretty, um, yeah, pretty, pretty messed up. Yeah. Uh, and again, like, beep. just really well written. Like, I mean, the incredibly well past past couple of weeks. Like, and again, to be generous to the Rings of Power, um, like I would argue the Rings of Power over the past couple of weeks has done what it does best, which is gigantic spectacle and reminding you that it is the most expensive show ever made by the biggest company on the planet. And I think what's interesting is that like House of the Dragon has, on the other hand, shown what it is very good at, which is let us hire a bunch of very talented British actors and lock them in a room together with a script mm-hmm. and just have them eat. Like last week you had the wonderful like confrontation at the funeral, like where it was just a, the whole cast pretty much locked in the room 
together. And here you have, again, that scene like with the dinner where it's just like you literally I like that they literally let characters eat. They literally let character actors eat on this show. Um, But it really does. Like, that's the special effect. It's like as weird as it is to say in a show called House of the Dragon, which opened with dragons swooping over King's Landing. It's like the special effect that I really want to see is you getting Paddy Considine, Matt Smith, uh, Olivia Cook, uh, Emma Darcy, all these actors, these young actors who I'm not really familiar with yet, but probably will be in years to come, and lock them in a room and just like have them bounce off one another, like film them looking at each other. And that's enough for me. It's like, it's amazing. I'm really, really impressed. And I'm a little sad that we're going to be, which is a very weird thing to say as the show is like, let us rush towards the season finale where we will demonstrate where the budget went with this jewel of dragons, if you will. But I kind of missed... Like, I think you mentioned last week that, like, the original pitch for the show was to begin with Viserys' death. Like, we yeah. are literally, we are at the starting whistle um, yeah. for what the show originally would have been. These eight episodes were all, like, added after the fact. And I think yeah. that, is it Ryan Colgan, the, the co-showrunner, yeah. has said, like, this is the hardest season of television he's ever had to make. Because sure. he's had to cover, like, 40 years or whatever it's taken between them, or 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I... I would not trade these eight episodes for the world. I'm actually like, by the time we reach the end of them, I'm really disappointed that we may be heading towards a show that looks more like the old Game of Thrones. When it's like, I actually really like this model where it's like separate years, years apart, all based around single events, weddings, funerals, a succession crises. It's like, I really like the way that they've structured the season so far. And it's almost like I'm kind of disappointed we're at the starting whistle, which is very hard to imagine when it's like it's going to be a cool show about dragons and civil war and i'm like no give me more of the talking and the family gathering i, I still yeah, feel like we're like gonna the, i still feel like we're gonna the get the version of the up series like the seven up movies where it's like oh let's just see what's going on with these characters yeah. every seven years i still years. feel like we're gonna get a lot more of that though because like this it's just a huge family in fighting and yeah. so like there's gonna yeah. be all these like yeah you know like you, you're gonna i feel like you're gonna change who you're supporting for over and over and over again because you're not gonna know where these cross threads are and i feel like it'll take a lot to get the audience to root for aegon and aemon <laughs> well I, I yeah feel, i mean not, i'm not talking <laughs> every character I, I, but i mean I like, like Daemon, that maybe, but damon that maybe scorched earth but damon yeah damon was like a hated character at the start i think you know he's kind of a shithead I mean, and I mean, jamie ca- is like the perfect example of that yeah yeah, yeah. and well damon thrones right damon has kind of quickly come around to being like one of the more reasonable people <laughs> seems yeah he did um, just lob a guy's head off in court who called his wife a whore yeah his niece <laughs> and his wife a whore you get yeah. you get one pot shot not two in one go yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an absolute twofer um yeah, yeah i love uh, so the, so the he insulted my kids and my second cousins. <laughs> I don't know which one's worse. Because yeah. yeah, um, yeah, what are what are he insulted his niece and what what are her children to him? Yeah, that's right. what I say. Second, they're right. second, second cousins. Second cousins. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. And then he has kids with her now. <laughs> I, I'm my own grandpa. Yeah. Uh, the uh, that's that that. stupid. That's so confusing. Tom Arnold. I, I love uh, that Nick. It's only now sinking into Nick. Like the reaction. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it, it was there. It was just like I'm just like 
even like you're just one, like I see you. I see like the, a beautiful mind going on. Like, yeah. My brain, my bra- family, yeah, my brain is trying to break. Tree. Yeah, my brain is breaking just trying to figure out what that family tree because it goes up and down and up inside. Yeah, it's just more of like it a family back around to dad. Family bush. Yeah, it's basically like like a New York subway map. Basically, um. yeah. Beatmaster says you're doing incest math. <laughs> Pretty much. Where's that? We, um, we need like a we need Matt to put the meme. With like the numbers on the screen, and we trying to figure exactly. out exactly. Yeah, we're trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, uh, I really like uh, so in the uh, in in the the actual book, the way they describe uh, the death of uh, Viserys is really great. It says then uh, Viserys Targaryen, the first of his name, king of the Andals, the Rhynar, the first men, lord of the seven kingdoms, protector of the realm, closed his eyes and went to sleep. He never woke. He was fifty two years old, and he had reigned over most of Westeros for twenty six years. Then the storm broke, and then the dragons danced. Like, I think that's such a cool way to, like, that's where we are in the story now. Like, he, like, for for as feeble as he was at the end, he was the only thing holding yeah. kingdom together. Like, he was the only thing. Uh, and then uh, I did, and I do think it, having in his, his sort of death knell be um, uh, uh, thinking he's talking to Rhaenyra and talking to her about the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy from Aegon, but having that be to Alicent gives gives me more compassion for Alicent because she thinks that in his dying breath, he's telling her, you need to put our son on the throne, like that our Aegon needs to be on the throne. And that's what Alicent thinks. So going forward, Alicent's, um, you know, Alicent's operating under the thought of I'm doing what his last wish was because she doesn't have the full story. Um, and I think that's a, a pretty decent way to make it be like, oh, all right, I understand how everything's about to become really fucked up right now. Hmm. I uh, during the scene where the uh, the helper was confessing the the rape to Allison, I was like, mm-hmm. just based on the previous episode, I was half expecting Allison to like stab her when she hugged her. <laughs> yeah, some people were thinking too. The uh, like, I assume the the, the tea, tea yeah. they gave her was just the plant tea that uh, yeah. that Rhaenyra took earlier. I don't think that was like poison or anything. Yeah, but, I think it was plant um, plant. Yeah, tea. Um, I do like calling it plant tea though. That's that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> plant yeah, plant Targaryen. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, stuff is uh, yeah stuff stuff's about to pop off in uh, in these these last two episodes. And so again, like you said, Darren, uh, the fact that this is kind of where they. Uh, planned on starting the story in the first place makes me really happy that they didn't just because I yeah. feel like I have you, you've seen these characters through so much of their life like you know how much they've changed or for some of them they haven't changed or some of them they've changed for the worse or for the better um, and so yeah I'm really I'm really excited for a big for a big messiness to uh, to, to take over the show I think it'd be pretty it cool and I mean if we hadn't started this late we wouldn't have had a concert, Paddy Considine. And we're all agreed yep. Emmy for Paddy Considine, right? Incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's going to be like he's got to he's going to have to like it's fight so nine succession actors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, it's like the burly brawl with like with yeah, like pasty pasty 40-year-old American character actors. <laughs> and and Matthew the last, and the last time Better Call Saul could get any Emmys, so like it's <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a bloodbath. Um Yeah, yeah no, I'm uh yeah, good between uh, that and Andor, big big thumbs up. I'm very excited for the next uh, couple weeks. And even when they leave, you know, it's it's nice to know that like uh, the Sapochnik leaving is a little 
I don't know, troublesome, but like making me think that I, I don't know if there's more going on behind the Hi, scenes. Uh, Darren was also very angry that Miguel Sapochnik left the show, but <laughs> Hi, uh, Miguel Sapochnik, who you know directed a lot of the episodes and is the co-showrunner, is not going to return for season two, and so it. Um, I don't know if we should look into that. Like, Darren, do you think we should look into the M- Miguel Sapochnik not being on the show for season two as a, a sign of, of bad omens or just as a this guy's worked on a lot of Game of Thrones he probably doesn't want to do anymore? I imagine it's probably, yeah, just it's it's very tiring and very exhausting and what this yeah. was shot. Again, we're not out of the pandemic now, to be clear, no, although no. apparently we are. But, like, yeah. this was shot during the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. I can't imagine it was particularly easy to be away from your family. And it's a very logistically demanding show at the best of times, made on a budget that arguably was still extravagant by TV standards, doesn't quite stretch to cover it. This costs, you know... What a third, maybe maybe less than a third of what House what Rings of Power does. Yeah, to give an example, and like it's which is insane, and they are probably paying far more for the actors than Rings of Power as well. Yeah, if yeah. we're being entirely frank, a lot um, more so like, no names. And so it's it's a, an incredibly demanding job. I would not take Sapochnik being like, okay, tag me out um, as as particularly kind of like shocking. I am perhaps a little bit worried about Alan Taylor coming on in large part because Taylor is not a director who I've been particularly fond of as a movie feature film director. Obviously, his work on television is outstanding. Uh, work on The Sopranos, obviously, uh, yeah. the Game of Thrones episodes he did as well. But Are you like, not a big fan of Thor, uh, Thor two. None, surprisingly not. Nor am yeah. I a big fan of Terminator Genesis um, or um, the Many Saints of Newark, oh, aka that was, a, that was a real bad one. That was an interesting film, is how I would describe yeah. that, which is my diplomatic way of phrasing it. It's like, what if Once Upon a Time in America, but also The Godfather, but not as good as any of those? Um, yeah. Also, what if we showed you all the stuff that was really cool when we talked about in The Sopranos, but doesn't look as cool when you do yep. it in person? And what if we cast every actor you recognize, but only gave each of them two lines? And it's <laughs> like, why? Why are you doing these things to me? <laughs> Um, I thought I wanted them, but I don't. I don't make it stop. But yeah, I do think that that's maybe more of a concern for me. I yeah. think uh, Taylor's a very good director in terms of television. Yeah, I'm great. less I'm less enthusiastic about him as a visionary, quote unquote. Um, yeah. So that is a cause of slight concern for me. Although hopefully, maybe he'll be coming on as a junior partner. Um, maybe he will be approaching it as somebody who's you know it's really um, uh, is it Ryan Colgan uh, is the oh, other coacher? Yeah, Colgan. Oh, sorry, I mixed up my G's and my L's. No. Uh, but yeah. Um, I'm dyslexic, but when I speak, yeah. Um, Alan Taylor did direct a bunch of episodes of Game of Thrones as well. So, he did, yes. You know, he, did he has, well. he has like, history in the series, um, and directed an episode of Lost. And I mean, Matt Smith was in Terminator Genesis, so I mean, obviously, like that's an obvious matchmaker. I right? literally forgot he was. <laughs> I don't worry. Matt Smith also forgot he was. It's like remember Rise of Skywalker. Remember Rise of Skywalker. Oh my god, I totally forgot he was. Oh yeah, remember Rise of Skywalker. It feels me like Hollywood was like for a decade was like here's the football match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, uh. I'm glad he finally got this. So that's good. Um, cool. Before we uh, before we sign off, is there anything uh, anything outside of the realm of of nerddom of these things that you guys have been watching that you want to tell people about? I Roslyn. Anytime. Roslyn. Yeah, I want to hear about Roslyn. <laughs> Roslyn is releasing on uh, Hulu in the states on Disney Plus internationally on Friday, and it is great. It is basically Romeo and Juliet are dead. It's basically what if Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but for Romeo and Juliet. It stars Caitlin Diver. It's directed by, I think, Karen Maine is the director. She wrote Obvious Child. She directed Yes, God, Yes, the Natalie Dyer God Sex movie. Which I thought was really which great. Is, 
which is a wonderful phrase, a wonderful way to describe a movie. Uh, but yeah, the, like again, really, really good. She's a very strong director with a very strong sensibility uh, for romantic comedy. Like that's the thing about it, is I, I'm a sucker for a good rom-com and there have been very few of them lately. And this is just a really well-constructed rom-com, which is what if Romeo's ex decides to like sabotage Romeo and Juliet, but ends up maybe falling in love with somebody else as well. And it's just fun. It's like mm -hmm. really energetic. It's really goofy. It's really playful has a fantastic supporting cast, including people like, say, Mini Driver, Bradley Whitford, and Christopher McDonald as well, who I'm always glad to see Christopher McDonald pop up and stuff. Yeah, um, so I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Caitlin Deaver headlines that she should be a star. Um, she's she she is. was also in Short Term 12, which was the movie that just birthed 10,000 stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's like that, that 2001 Space Odyssey. My God, it's full of stars. It's full um, of stars. <laughs> it's yeah. Full of stars. And I, yeah, written and directed by D uh, D Dustin Daniel Cretton, too, who's now... He's, he's, the Shang-Chi fellow, I think. Shang-Chi, and he's doing uh, the, the, the Kang movie, Kang Dynasty. Oh, yes. Mike Waldron is writing Secret Wars, isn't he, as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just otherwise, just a quick shout out. Uh, I've been watching a bunch of horrors on the Criterion channel. Um, they've got an 80s horror collection, which is just amazing. Um, they've got like Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, which is the vampire movie starring Lance Henriksen and Bill Paxton, which well, is amazing if you haven't seen it. Yeah. They have the 80s remake of The Blob starring Kevin Dillon as like a motorcycle punk <laughs> um, and like wonderfully gory special effects, which I would wholeheartedly recommend if you haven't seen it. Uh, and they also have The Hidden, which is a movie I had not heard of, but which is basically like killer yuppies from outer space in 80s Los Angeles, in which Kyle MacLachlan plays an FBI agent who's assigned with a local police officer to track down a spate of mysterious hedonistic crimes in 80s Los Angeles. Just Twin Peaks. It's free Twin Peaks. He, he's very much, you can tell that like McLaughlin is like audition or like rehearsing what will become Cooper because he's, he's a bit of a kind of stick in the mud. He's very arch. He doesn't quite understand people. It's really great. I had an amazing time with it and it has one of the best applications of Chekhov's flamethrower that I've ever seen. Uh, even better than uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fair, fair point. I think I think maybe Tarantino <laughs> edges that one to be fair. Yeah. Uh, that's What is that movie called? The Hidden? The they're all in if you have criterion there's an yeah. 80s collection which includes everything like they've got the keep in there as well um they've got like just all these wonderful like 80s movies they've got like prince of darkness from carpenter and stuff like that scanners from cronenberg cue the oh, winged serpent um yeah uh, sean fennessy recommended this he's one of my one of my favorite oh, okay. critics so uh, right. from the ringer so great well I, I will i will steal sean's thunder and go yeah absolutely that's great that's great yeah you you are my two favorite film critics so there you go <laughs> uh <laughs> Nick, your favorite uh, one, not on this call. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'll just say that. Uh, do you have anything? Did, have you been watching anything? No, that building, building chair. <laughs> nope, I haven't had uh, time to really get anything. I, I, I do plan on watching Cyberpunk Edge Runners this week, uh, and then I also picked up. Uh, I'm getting my copies of uh, Evil Dead because I've never watched those. Uh, I just got my steel book of Army Ooh. of Darkness. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I need to I need to watch Evil Dead one, two, Army of Darkness, and then I know the 2013 remake is also quite good. So looking forward to picking that up. I'll, I'll, I think all four of them are good. Yeah, and, and then, Rise is uh, is on the way. From local boy Lee Cronin made good. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then, what uh, is that? Is that coming out next year? I thought it was due later this year, but may maybe next year. Yeah. Um, we're, pretty late, we're pretty late in the year. Yeah, we're pretty late in the year. Yeah. Come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, I thought it was going to be a Halloween release, but yeah, it's, it feels like it's been locked for ages. Or he's, oh, sorry, yeah, it is 2013. Sorry, it yeah. is, it's April 2023. So it's yeah, April. It's a great, it's April great holiday. Great uh, time to release. Wow. It's a scary movie. movie. Uh, yeah, two, of the, two of the other horror movies I'm planning on watching uh, that I haven't seen yet is uh, Hereditary and uh, nice. uh, Malignant. Oh, Ooh. fucking Maliggy. 
I think you're gonna yeah. I think you're gonna love hereditary and I think you're gonna hate malignant. Why would I why am I gonna <laughs> hate malignant? <laughs> I think malignant is uh, such a weird frequency. Yeah. Um there's uh, a moment I've recommended it to fucking despise it, but uh, there's there's a moment that's make or break it with malignant yeah. where you're either like I'm one hundred percent in or hundred percent out on it, and when that moment arrives you'll know what it is. Yeah. I was really proud my sister was watching it and she texted me and was like, Wait, is this gonna happen that and then lays out the entire plot of the movie yet to come and I'm like, Who did you get that? Yeah. Like, how, <laughs> how does your brain work that you were like, No, I, I think I crack this. Yeah, yeah, I I, I cracked the malignant uh <laughs> yeah. malignant code. Uh B Master said, What about the Hellraiser remake? Yeah, that's on my list too. I've had it yeah, after COVID I, I was telling the guys beforehand, after COVID, um uh, sort of getting over it. Like I've had the hardest time concentrating on new stuff, so I've just been rewatching Community. Um, so Hellraiser, I'm I'm gonna try to get to as soon as possible. So probably by next week. I'll thoughts on that. Have you watched the new Hellraiser yet? I have not. I want to watch all the I, Hell again. I've been I haven't. I've been working my way through the classic horror franchise over the mm. past couple of years, and I haven't done Hellraiser. And it feels like if I'm gonna watch the new Hellraiser, I should watch all the old Hellraisers. But part of me is also like I am reviewing five shows simultaneously <laughs> and don't really have time to do that. So I, it, I will commit. If you if you say you're gonna watch it for next week, I will watch all eight. Jesus, that's so many. I can't make you watch eight. Um, I'm <laughs> just gonna watch one of them. <laughs> just Marty, all I need to know is. Is the Hellraiser franchise, if you were putting it on a scale, is it like is it like Nightmare on Elm Street good? Is it like Chucky good? Or is it like is, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Oh like when does this end? Uh better I think better than Chucky. I would I would put it about better Nightmare than on Chucky. Elm Street. Better than Chucky. I'm not I'm not crazy about Chucky. I don't like that little doll. Just get a little doll, just get him out of here. <laughs> get him out of here. I don't want him here. Uh, Hello, did you see a TV uh, show for Chucky now? Yeah, there Chucky's is a TV amazing. show. Is it good? They just is it good show? A, they just released a uh, um, a trailer for a movie called Megan, which looks like Chucky, but with like a small like AI doll, uh, and it looks fucking stupid. It looks so stupid. It looks like the exact frequency of stupid as malignant, and I'm very <laughs> excited. So ch- check out. It's like oh, Megan. I think there's a three somewhere in the name have, Megan. Have any of us okay. have any of us checked out the Midnight Club yet? Uh, no, no I, which I should because I love weekend. Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, yeah. 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 All right, well, I'm gonna do a, again, I'm gonna do a rewatch of uh, Bly Manor because I love that. Bly Manor, yeah, Bly, Bly Manor is amazing. Like again, this is one of the things where it's like I need to allocate like ten hours. <laughs> I cannot physically do that. That's now. the thing is, if there wasn't these several shows we have to watch. For, I mean, Darren has watched them for for recap for written recaps, and then we watch we watch these shows for the for the for this show. So, um, but again, soon obviously House of Dragons know, is gonna like, be done soon. She Hulk is done. Yeah. Ring of Power is gonna be done. Um, like yeah. I mean, it, the schedule will free up. I'm looking forward to like I don't know taking up pottery at some point in November. <laughs> yeah. um, have you ever have you ever seen the movie Ghost? Oh, it's great. Oh, like the what were we talking about the Patrick Swayze one? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's got a great pottery. Yeah. 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 Um, just um, don't bring it up to this pottery teacher in community. I just watched that episode. <laughs> well. great, great job. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that about uh, does it for us. Um, Darren, where where can folks find you, and what should folks check out? Uh, you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney um, on Twitter. Um, I'm also obviously here on this this channel here as well. Uh, we do videos every second week. Myself and Omar Ahmed generally edits them. Matt Lachlan has done a couple as well in the frame videos, uh, which are like, I'm very proud of them. They've been, people have been watching them lately, which is very disconcerting. People seem to like them, which I'm very thrilled with. Um, and also I do reviews as well. So there will be a review coming up towards the end of the week for Halloween ends. I always get Halloween kills and Halloween ends confused because <laughs> kills and ends are kind of the same thing. 
it yeah. feels just a little bit redundant. Um, and then you can catch me at the regular Escapist site where I write uh, twice weekly column in the frame, doing recaps of, and I'm going to count them down, baby. Uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, Rings of Power, House of the Dragon, Andor, and there's what she Hulk. She Hulk. I can't believe She-Hulk only has like 25 minutes left in its season. <laughs> yeah, particularly given that they got to a plot. It's like they, they arrived at, a, at an arc and it's like, now? Now is when you're doing now, it? Yeah, now we're done? Yeah. <laughs> Although I did, li- I did like the yoga retreat. I thought that was nice. I actually like I like it when it's just being gentle. I like it when it's just being, which is the thing. It's yeah. like, welcome to derailing the conversation about She-Hulk. But like yeah. She-Hulk works really well when it's just like low stakes goofiness. I think like the fourth episode is probably my favorite of the set and one of my favorite like Marvel Studios episodes, which is the one where it's just like it's it's She-Hulk does dating, which is a nice oh, superhero yeah. metaphor. And Wong sues uh Damien Blaze I over that was magic. Good. Which yeah, is like that was- that's that's the perfect zone for the show and like yeah. every week it's been kind of like wandering around but never hitting the bullseye of that and what i'm a little you, worried what did you uh, really yeah sorry well what did you quick uh, think of daredevil the daredevil episode i i mean i i kind of just want like T- tatiana maslany and charlie cox to hang out out of costume i thought it was much more interesting when they were like trading bars yeah, across it, the courtroom yeah, we're having like beers at the bar. Yeah, yeah, like just when they're flirting, and I like I do like the Daredevil's a man whore. Like I love the um the walk of shame. Thing yeah, he's carrying his little boots. Boots. yeah, and kind of humming and whistling, which I really really liked. Um, yeah. so like, but I I was less keen on like the marvelization of daredevil and i don't just mean that ah he's funny now stuff which is grand i i mean i do find it frustrating that they're like let's put him in yellow and then make a joke about how silly yellow looks on him and it's like you can't do that you can't put him in yellow and then make a joke about how stupid he looks um but also um i didn't like the use of cgi and stuff like that where it's like where the bit where he's fighting in the car park and he jumps off and he looks like he's from the burly brawl he looks like he's auditioning from the burly brawl and i'm like the the whole thing with daredevil was that it was practical physical stunts if you're gonna bring him in at least kind of stick to that there's moments where like he's fighting she hulk and he bends in ways that are obviously not really charlie cox and i'm like ah like I, yeah. I get, I, I'm not. When I say I'm not happy about him being incorporated, and in, I'm not talking about that. Oh, he's funny now. I'm saying I'm not happy with like the application of Marvel Cinematic Universe or Marvel Studios filming methods to a character who, to this point, has been defined by again practical physical effects. And defined so well on the Netflix. And defined so well, yeah. amazing. Like like they do a joke about the hallway fight, which is clever in isolation, where it looks yeah. like he's going to do a hallway fight, and, and then she, she drops in a ceiling. Yeah, and I'm like, that's clever in isolation, but if you're doing that, you need to come up with an alternative. You need to come up with something better. You, yeah. If you're going to trash that idea, which you didn't come up with, you're not making fun of something you did. You're yeah. making fun of something that, like, Netflix did, and everybody yeah. who worked on that show did. If you're and, gonna every, joke, and everyone loved it. Right. And everyone loved it. And if you're making a joke about that, you need to make a joke with something better. There needs to be a better punchline than, well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. So I, I worry I sound like a guy angry. I, I worry I sound like Hulk King on uh, what's it called? I was about to say you're one of the in, in, in intelligentsia, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah, intelligentsia. <laughs> yeah, intelligentsia. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, Dorian King with five Canadian dollars. Also, thank you so much, Dorian. Said I never get to see the show live. Just wanted to say I watch every show. And Darren's review essays are some of my favorite YouTube videos. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, thank Dorian. Thank you. That's really wonderful of you to say. It is. Uh, Nick. You got anything? What should folks check out? Um, Marty and I will be back in an hour and a half to do uh, more Neo. Moving on to Mission 6. Uh, I looked at the uh, mission list, Marty. I am not even a third of that through the game yet. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like a it's a beefy it's, it's a, a beefy long boy game. Like beefy boy. The level requirement for like the end level, the end missions are like two seventy six. I'm at thirty eight. Well, you know what? There's no shame in just quitting. Right. Yeah, Jack quit yesterday. So did he? Did he quit Eldering? Well, he beat he beat Malakath, and then he couldn't beat the next guy. So he gave Horalu. Horalu, yeah. He's just like I'm done. Uh, he's, he's beat it before but yes uh, come back uh, for that today uh, tomorrow is ZP day so you're getting uh, members are getting the ZP on Proteus and the everybody else is getting the ZP on uh, Monkey Island uh, post ZP breakout and uh, God of War are happening tomorrow so like the <laughs> Wednesday's packed it's packed yeah, as Monday's now is it uh, then Thursday Marty and I'll be back to work more or start Jedi Outcast and then mm-hmm. he'll be back again Metal for Metal Gear Solid 4. <laughs> and then Amy will be Amy and I will be back on Friday for Grounded. And I guess Marty or somebody will be streaming with J-Mate to do something, whatever we're playing that day. Maybe more Guild Wars 2. People seem to like that. Uh, and I've never seen anyone so excited about anything as J-Mate yeah, was. I, yeah, well, I actually want to see J-Mate play the game this time rather than just describe the whole thing. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was playing. No, 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 it was, it was cool. It was watch. cool, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seems like you're you're booked up to the guilds. You're booked solid, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Ah, uh, I like okay. it, I like it. And then uh, Saturday's game night, uh, it'd probably be a spooky game again. I think that new, we're supposed to be getting review code for that new Ghostbusters game. Uh, so we might check that out. And then Sunday, newly released returns with Amy. Don't know what she's playing. Yet, but there's quite and a Saturday will be uh, for everyone uh, the first episode of SideQuest. Yeah, so if you're not a member, get signed up for that if you want to watch SideQuest early. So uh, join and support the channel. We are less than we are less than 50 people. We are 43 people away from hitting 500 patrons, which means we are 43 people away from Yahtzee and Jack playing uh, Pulsar Lost Colony. When do I have to worry about playing a game? Uh, you will be the next goal after that to hit 750. Okay, that's great. I'm, I'm just pushing it off. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, don't worry. We're <laughs> These shows will be done by the time we hit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah by, the, by the time we get there. The TV day, in the background showing She-Hulk. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it, after my eight hours of Persona, we're going to put you through eight hours of Persona. Oh, you're going to love it. You're going to get to choose a waifu. Darren, you've, you've never lived until you've chosen a waifu. I feel like Marty, you and I have very different definitions that of what it means to not I'm with, I'm with you, Darren. <laughs> I'm with you on that. History's on my side. I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who uh, is. Is it a sister waifu? What? What is the deal here? Cousin, cousin waifu. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Sister. Uh, one of the waifus cut, is weird. Niece <laughs> and niece and wife waifu. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do wonder though, like who could pull off the cat ears better, me or Darren? Darren's got the bald heads; so they'll pop out more. That's true. We made Nick for the last stream where these oh. uh, cat his headphones were like cat ears, uh, but they were very uncomfortable. See like that. See, <laughs> yeah, you just need to be pink and and have uh, flashing lights on them. You are super. That cool. feels like feels like a very DIY project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like looking around like I, so, I got something I could do. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I mean, yeah. not not only was the shame crushing my head, but the headphones were also crushing. But the my actual, head. yeah, there was a literal and metaphorical shame crushing your head. <laughs> so that was that was very nice. Uh, for uh, Darren and Nick, this is Marty, and this has been the recap episode number eight. Uh, thank you all so much for joining, for 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 your memberships, for your super chats, for your for your patronage, and just for being uh, wonderful in the comments. So thank you all so much, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.